they see that I'm just a kid from Nelsonville that's grown up here my whole life and really just wants to roll up the sleeves and get to work and try to fight effectively, not argue and fight and bicker and get into it with people in Columbus, um, but really sit down and have conversations and try to get something done. Welcome to the 457 SEO, a place for stories, information, and observation about our communities in Southeast Ohio. I'm Allison Hunter. I'm Atish Baidya. And I'm Susan Tevin. On this episode, we have a local politician who doesn't really like being called that, who gives us his perspective as a freshman legislator at the Ohio State House. We asked him about his goals and the goals he has for Southeast Ohio. So I'm Jay Edwards, state representative for the 94th district, which covers um, all of Athens County except for Trimble Township, all of Meigs County, half of Washington County, and about half of Vinton County. Um, new to politics, never ran for anything before, and, and uh, lived here my whole life. Grew up in Nelsonville, went to OU, graduated, played football at Ohio University, and just really felt like our area, I wanted to fight for our area. I grew up kind of idolizing small community, small business owners, people in the community that were always giving back. My family being one, I was very, very, uh, um, very fortunate to grow up in the family that I did. And um, you, you realize that every day as you look, as, as time goes by across the nation, across the state, especially in Appalachia, um, just to have a mom and dad, how fortunate it is to have a mom and dad that loved me and cared for me and kicked me in the rear end every once in a while when I needed it um, and, and looked after me and protected me and loved me and, and fed me and, and every, anything that I needed um, and instilled work ethic and, and those sorts of things. So I'm very fortunate. Um, you know, when you grow up as a child, there's times where you probably don't like it, uh, you know, when you're getting kicked in the rear end or you're made to work on the weekends and not able to stay all night at friends' houses and do things. Um, it's not as fun, but I, 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 every day it's, it's, you know, it's the old saying that you'll, one day you'll appreciate this. And I think it's so true. And, and I guess that's the reason I got into to, to politics. I hate being called a politician and, and I'm wearing a suit sitting right now, which you're not going to see on the radio. But um, I, I, I would rather be in, you know, regular clothes down here in southeastern Ohio the same way I grew up. Um, unfortunately, it's just part of the process. But um, I really just feel like our area, um, like many, has just been left behind. And and to have a seat at the table, to have a voice, um, I was, it's something I'm very passionate about and something that um, even in the process of looking to get in, I, I, I wanted to make sure I was right for the job. I went out and explored the idea, went out and talked to a lot of community folks um, outside, you know, on the outlier areas where people really feel like they've, they've given up and feel like they, they have no voice. And, and uh, in those conversations, I felt like I could have brought something to the table and, mm-hmm. and given them a voice. And I think we're doing that every day. And so when you're, you've lived here your whole life, uh, you've talked to innumerable people, I'm sure. So the question we always ask is, what does Southeast Ohio need and how do we get it? And what are the answers that you have heard or have for them? So, you know, it's complex. One of the biggest issues we have is jobs. And I think if you polled individuals, if you uh, if you asked, um, I think the, the number one issue across the state, the number one issue in Appalachia are jobs. People want a good place to work. We're constantly talking about health care and Medicaid and how that's working out on the federal level. Um, what if we had good paying jobs where a lot of people had health care, had, had their employees cover, covering their health care? Um, and, and it's kind of a, um, a snowball effect of, you know, we used to have coal in this area, and we have a lot of people that were that were in that industry for years. 
and those things went away and and uh there's never been anything really that's came back and replaced that um and and so we've built this where you know now we're almost have some some generational um generational welfare that that's going on where kids it's all they've ever seen is the mom and dad and and there's no one to blame there's a lot of those times it's needed because there's not there's not good paying jobs out there um, so I think number one is jobs and good paying jobs. I think um, obviously the drug epidemic is is really hurting the state, um, but I think it goes hand in hand with jobs. I think um, it can happen to anybody. It can happen to someone that's you know has a very good job in affluent areas, and we're seeing that everywhere. Um, I definitely think there's a correlation between mental health and and self. Um, you know, people having a good self look at themselves, um, depression. Um, that I think jobs and and being able to be around peers and be around good people that are working. I think it definitely plays into. Um, I, and I think commercial insurance. I think Medicaid plays a role in in our in our opiate problem that we're having right now. Um, I think that that's probably number two on the list for for problems in this area. Um, then you get into education, um, you know, our schools and, and making sure they're funded, uh, making sure that, that locals have control of their schools, something I'm very passionate about. I don't like all the standardized testing. Um, I think teachers are demonized in the state uh, and across the country. Um, I, I would never want to be a teacher. I respect the heck out of teachers and, and the fact that that's what they want to do with their lives. And I think we have some very, very good ones here in this area. Um, but again, that goes back to jobs. So I think everything kind of unravels from jobs. If, you, if we had a bigger tax base, we'd have our schools getting more money um, and, and we'd have our local government. Local government's probably high on the list for me. It's something I'm very passionate about and making sure our locals are funded. Um, again, if we had jobs and a bigger tax base, more people paying in, um, we're more reliant upon local tax dollars paying for our local government as opposed to state or federal dollars coming in. They're still needed, but we're, you're less reliant upon them. Um, so I think everything, not everything, but I think a lot of a lot of problems um, are helped, not fixed in any way, but are helped with good paying jobs and providing a tax base to this area. But the real question is, is how do we how do we get jobs? And I'm a firm believer that politicians don't create jobs. Um, I think they can help and they definitely play a role in the process. Um, we you know, talk about things like infrastructure, um, gas, three phase electric. You're getting down to nitty gritty blue collar stuff. And, and that's really the conversations that we have to have, um, roads, bridges, um, electric lines, water, sewer. Um, those are real conversations that, uh, that we got to sit down and have, um, if we're going to get jobs, if you can't, if you don't have public sewer or three phase electric, you're not going to get a job to come in here. Um, broadband, uh, right. it's something else that's very popular. It's, it should be a public utility as far as I'm concerned. Uh, um, and should be regulated by the state. Um, because it's it's something that's needed. You're not going to get jobs unless you have broadband and reliable high-speed broadband and what that's defined as. Um, so I, you know, I think that there's definitely roles that the state plays in trying to aid jobs and trying to help with jobs. And one of the big roles I see is myself and maybe many people don't see the state representative as doing this now that we're through the budget. Um, I'm advocating. You know, I'm talking to the Ohio Chamber in Columbus and saying, when these companies come in and they, they reach out to you, you're one of the first contacts when they want to relocate to Ohio or come into Ohio or expand. Why don't we send them down our way? You know, why don't we get these call centers? Why don't we get uh, some manufacturing jobs? Why don't we get some of these blue-collar jobs that, that can fill the void of these coal mines leaving this area and, and get people back to work and realizing? Um, and then there's a, a big piece, too, that, that we haven't talked about, and it's workforce development and, and really getting these these 
people trained and, and kids and young people uh, trained to go into these jobs and, and how do you train them and when you don't even know what jobs are coming it's tough to train people for a specific job so it, it's a very complex problem um, there's there's a lot of issues and and everywhere has a lot of issues um, still a great place to live I never want to live anywhere else and and I honestly see um, bright things coming for the area and I think it's just going to continue and you mentioned uh, local government and earlier this month when you were talking about the budget and the house had still decided whether we're still deciding whether they were going to override vetoes yes um you mentioned to me that you didn't understand why case governor Kasich was so against local government funding Mm -hmm. have you sought answers to that and if you have have you gotten any and what were they i've gotten uh i I haven't got answers you know we had a lot of meetings so specifically about the mco sales tax Mm -hmm. um and and people get caught up on the mco sales tax i think i've had this conversation with you before that many people think it's they get caught up in the names and it sounds very confusing it's mco sales tax mm-hmm. uh, managed medicaid managed care organization sales tax it's similar to every other sales tax that a county has and the fact that the state applies a tax and a, the, the state allows the county to piggyback off that tax we were taxing medicaid um, and obviously counties with low tax base typically have a higher medicaid population and they're more reliant upon those for their operational cost in the counties um, I just happened to be lucky enough to have the number one and number two counties that were the most reliant upon those in the state with Megs and Vinton. Mm-hmm. It was a problem in every county. I was talking about it last year during the election. I didn't hear a lot of people talking about it. I thought when I got to Columbus, um, there would be more people talking about it, and there really wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked a lot with the Meigs County commissioners. They were very active in wanting to sit down with me and, and figure out some of these solutions. They have Meigs County, their commissioners, because of this one issue, now have more networking across the state and more things and, and I don't I don't want to toot my own horn because honestly they they put in the work they deserve the but we got them to Columbus we've got them around the CC their county commissioners association organization around almost every organization they've uh, met so many other county commissioners that they can reach out to and have questions with um, on this issue um, but I think that we also were able to get it done. So the governor vetoed that uh, it was going away. The federal court, uh, Supreme Court um, ruled that unethical for us to pinpoint a certain Medicaid, a certain uh, MCO and, and tax them without a broad-based tax. Mm-hmm. Um, we sat down with the governor's people and, and the administration, um, and I won't mention names, but we sat down with them across the table and came up with solutions. And we had solutions going into the, going into the meeting. Um, for some reason, they were against it, and we can't figure out why. It was putting nothing in jeopardy from them. We were working with a great consultant uh, named Cindy Mann, who was uh, a director under um, director of CMS, Center for Medicare Medicaid mm-hmm. Solutions, w- under Obama's administration, um, who came to Ohio, um, and she is a uh, uh, just an unbelievable contact to have and he- on healthcare and especially things that, you know, things that are being proposed on the federal level right now of educating um, a- anyone, but especially me. I reach out to her a lot. Um, we had her, somebody on the inside that knew she was the one that when the governor's folks went down and proposed the new tax to hold the state whole, um, they forgot to mention that we had a county piggyback tax. Um, so the, the state went the state went and negotiated a waiver 
um, to come up with $800 million to hold the state whole. So the state was going to miss out on this money, too. They came up with a waiver. They negotiated that with a woman named Cindy Mann. Uh, um, then uh, Donald Trump takes office. Cindy Mann's no longer there, as always happens. And Cindy Mann is now a consultant with us. She's sitting in the same room with the people that, that were her best friends a couple mm-hmm. weeks earlier trying to negotiate this waiver um, and, and which they were entrusting everything in her. And now you have the administration folks calling her a liar saying that she doesn't know what she's talking about. Wow. Um, so for some reason, we cannot figure out why the administration was so, so against this tax. We fixed it. We put it in the budget. The governor vetoed it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, looking at it from a political standpoint, I like to say I'm pretty nonpartisan or bipartisan, whichever way you look at it. Um, I think you, to be effective, you also have to realize the, the, that politics plays into things and realize mm-hmm. Um, how things are politically and, and, and looking at our, our governor, um, there's things I really like about our governor, um, Medicaid expansion, mm-hmm. uh, something I stick up for him on, um, something I didn't publicly want to be too harsh on him during this budget on because I really appreciated his stance on Medicaid expansion. Um, but uh, looking at his future and everyone is talking about him possibly running for president in 2020 or whatever the case may be, um, if he does plan to have a political future, I, I don't, I guess I can't f- wrap my mind around why you would want to make upset everyone in the county. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really what he did by doing this. And, and we're talking about representatives from Hamilton County. We're usually the ones fighting against Hamilton, fighting against Franklin, fighting against Cuyahoga. They have 12 or 13 or 14 representatives that are representing our area, whereas we have four counties with one. Um, it's, it's a little bit of an unfair advantage. Um, and they have a big tax base and much different issues than us. Um, when we're fighting all together on the same thing, Republicans and Democrats alike, um, it's a real issue. And for some reason, I don't know why our governor was so so against that and wouldn't even wouldn't even really uh, venture to dive into the issue rather than just saying he was against it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. You know, I, I'll I go off on tangents, and I will no, say one other thing. That's a it, good one it, to it, go off on. It's uh, you know everything happens, and and you know it's a state representative. It's a local position. I, you know, I'm representing four counties that I'm from that I love. Um, you know, it's a little bit of a drive, hour, hour and a half down to certain parts of the district. But um, I love being here. You know, I'm going around everywhere today, and, and I think. You know, when you look at this opioid problem, when you look at uh, education, when you look at these are local issues. Mm-hmm. And I think the state, the counties act as a, locally, they act as an arm of the state. And, and similar to jobs, uh, we need to get out of the way. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I think we trip over our own, uh, our own feet or trip over our own uh, trying to do good um, instead of just backing off um, and, and letting these, you know, I, we're not going to, f- a group of, group of males and females sitting around a table in suits and, and uh, fancy clothes aren't going to fix the drug problem. Uh, we can pass as many bills as you want. We can dish out as much money as you want. Um, you know, money's part of it. And we understand that bills are part of it. And we understand that. Um, but we're not going to fix it. We really need to have more effort trying to break down the silos locally of all the organizations that are working on these issues. Let people on a local level and our drug courts understand um, how we can plug into one another so we don't have this group working on separate, completely separate than our drug courts, completely separate than our law enforcement, and and really try to uh, try to bring everyone together. And, and I mean, that, that goes all the way down to things like churches and, mm-hmm. and bringing, uh, bringing faith into people's lives. And anything we 
we can do, the, the window of opportunity to, to get these people, people into treatment and help them is so small that we need to have everybody, we need to be a fine-tuned machine going into treatment and make sure we're all on the same page and, and we may find a certain individual and we need to know any option for them and figure out which one's the best rather than everybody's working independently without working together. And, and I think that that's a, uh, a big thing that, that I've been trying to do and I think from my seat uh, can facilitate uh, trying to have meetings and big town halls and big things where we invite uh, people from certain industries. Don't get them too big, but but the the leading you know the the thought thought thinkers, uh, leading thought thinkers in the area um, that uh, uh, we can get in a room and, and come up with some of these ideas and try to break down some of these silos. And and we're doing that on everything. We're doing and the that. money people and the money people. The money, yes. people. <laughs> money helps and and you know but but funds it. But the point is funds the beds and it, all of that. It funds all of it. And it's very important. The the problem that I've tried to explain in Columbus, and I'm on a special hopes committee there. It's the Heroin Opiate Prevention Education and Safety C- Committee. It's a special committee um, that I asked to be on um, that, uh, you know, let's look at numbers. I was a math major here, and, and sometimes, you know, you got your emotional stuff, um, you know, Medicaid expansion and certain things, and this is very emotional too. It's a very uncomfortable topic, honestly, and I think in order to fix it, we're going to have to get very uncomfortable. Um, but uh, in looking at the issue, um, if we're looking at sheer numbers, um, the state spent you know, hundreds of millions of dollars last year, last budget cycle on this issue, and the problem got exponentially worse. So just throwing money at it, not that helps, but we need to figure out where we're putting money, why we're putting money behind this, where are we putting money that it's not working, where can we put more money, and I think in order to do that, we're not going to know those answers at the state level. We, the people that are going to have the answers are the people doing it locally every day, and, and they're the ones that we need to talk to. I have a great relationship with Robin Harris with the 317 board down in Megs and Earl Cecil with the 317 board here in Athens, and those are the people that, that we have to, you know, the, the same with, and I, I draw a lot of analogies, the same way with education. You know, you, there's no way people in Columbus are going to come up with answers for education. In order to do that, you need to have conversations with the local teachers and you have conversations with superintendents and have uh, with the organizations that are representing them in Columbus. And the more people you can get at the table without making it too big, um, the better you are. And, and, you know, I think that there is some times where people try to do things in Columbus um, based off them thinking they know the answers as opposed to them actually having real conversations with the people that are that are in the business and and uh, I think across the board that that's a real issue that uh, we need to address and it's it's a reason why I try to get out as much as I do to meet a lot of these people and make sure that they uh, know that I'm very accessible to please call me and and uh, I hate picking up the paper and reading about uh, you know I just did a couple weeks ago on a certain particular issue here somebody that was very upset with something in the budget um, it was a guy that I'd met four, four or five times, um, given my cell phone, gave him the spiel of, please, you know, I don't sleep at night. You can text me, call me. If I am sleeping, you're not going to wake me up. Um, the only way for me to know I'm relying upon you, um, whether that's right or wrong and whether that's what a politician is supposed to do, uh, that's how I am. I know that I'm not going to know these issues. I need him to tell me. Um, in Columbus, on this particular issue, he has an organization that represents him in Columbus, um, which many do. Um, they testified against what he would what he wanted, 
Um, that was the only only conversation I had. Now we pick up the paper after the budget's passed, and he's complaining, saying the state pulled this funding. Um, I don't blame him in any way. I take full responsibility for that. Um, I was very aware, well aware of the issue. However, the only voice that I heard on the issue was from his organization in Columbus that I would only assume has his back if I don't hear from him um, that told me that this funding isn't needed anymore. Um, so I, I picked up the phone after and when I read that in the paper and it had nothing to do with the article in the paper and me being blamed really, um, it had to do with what the cause was that the money was going for. I really felt like I could have fixed the issue or at least helped. Um, and if, and it would have been able to sleep better at night had I known that I'd worked on the issue, even if we were unsuccessful. Um, and it would have brought me and him closer and it would have made him come to Columbus and make more connections similar to what Meg's County commissioners have been doing. Um, so you know, it's, it was an opportunity missed and, and in calling him, his, his statement to me was, I just didn't want to bug you with it. I didn't want to bug you. And, and I completely understand that. I, I told him, thank you for your consideration on that. You are not going to bug me. I'm more bugged now than I would have been if you had called me. Um, I give out my cell phone to everybody and we've, you know, I think we knocked on 30,000 doors during the campaign and, uh, uh, my team did and had my cell phone on everyone. I'm one of the few representatives, maybe the only that puts his direct cell phone number to this phone sitting here on my business card. Um, and people tell me I'm crazy for doing that. I get very few calls and <laughs> not, not very many people call. I don't know if people just don't want to talk to me or what. Um, but you know, it's time to, uh, get rid of this. And I'm not saying this particular instance was had anything to do with politics, but I think there is a lot of that still goes on. And, and I think it's a big reason why our, our area is in the way that it's in, um, why our country's in the way it's in. We have so much partisanship bickering and I see it every day here. It's unfortunate because I'm very center of the road, um, type of guy, um, that people that are scared to talk to me or afraid to talk to me because I'm a Republican, you know, and we're not going to get anything done. That's, that's how it's been. That's how it's going to be. I don't think it's changing anytime soon, but on the state level, from the seat that I'm at, from the County level, from the local level, let's get rid of that. Let's get rid of the bickering. Um, you talk about Medicaid, you talk about the drug problem, education. These are not partisan issues. Uh, these are things that, that we all care about. We all, I guarantee we agree on most of the people we're going to sit down with are going to agree upon 80% of the things we talk about. So we disagree on 20. We can still work on these 80 together. And that, that's one of the things that I'm really working on. I don't feel like I'm, I'm there yet so much here in this locally in Athens. Um, I've tried. I've got a lot of people that, that are very openly, openly, no doubt about it, Democrats that I do work with and are very happy to work with me and say, you know, uh, we love working with you. And I try to use them as advocates as much as I can. But there's still a lot of people that, you know, because I'm because of the letter next to my name, um, refuse to pick up the phone and call me or refuse to have meetings with me or choose not to show up to meetings. And it's unfortunate because all I want to do is help. And, and it's it's not about that for me. And it's not why I got into it. What is your your approach to being a state representative? This sort of like bringing all people to the table, hearing as many voices as possible, um, understanding that you don't know everything, that you're not the expert. Where does this approach and philosophy come from for you? I think it comes from I draw a lot of analogies. So I grew up in a in a business family. Um, I grew up in in playing sports. Um, I, I got my degree in mathematics here at the university. I started in real estate from a young age. Um, I guess the realization always came that you can learn something from anybody. And, and I've had that philosophy my whole life. I've, I love to golf. Um, some of the best golfing experiences I've ever had is usually if you go to a busy course, they'll try to link you up with somebody. 
if you don't have the right number of people to play. Some of the best experience I've had is doing that. Um, if there was ever a situation where I could go and meet somebody, if we're, you know, you're going golfing and there's one odd guy out, I'll say, let me ride with him. I want to learn about him. I want to learn about his life, what he does, what his kids do. You know, and so I think that I've always had that um, desire to, to meet people and get to know them and figure out uh, maybe the psyche of them. And you would not very, um, I'm a pretty logical guy. I'm a math guy, so I don't like those big gray areas, which I know are they're f- the life is full of them. Um, but I, I think I, yeah, yeah. So I, I do, but I do have a, an enjoyment of learning, you know, what makes people tick and, and what, what their passions are. And, and I think because maybe I have so many passions in my life that I, I really enjoy that. Um, and, and I think that, you know, just growing up in, in the family, my family was like that. My family is, is one to, um, the way they treat their employees and the way that they, they learn from people and they've never been one that's above anybody. And, you know, I never knew my family was successful in business till I was 20 um, because I was always working um, in the business. And, and I think that they just instilled those things in me that uh, I'm just so proud of and, and so happy and so fortunate and trying to capitalize in on rather than just taking that and running with it um, and trying to give back to the local community that, you know, I'll never move from. I've never, I was so happy to get a football scholarship to play here at OU. Um, I had other offers to go play. I wanted to play here because this is where, this is home to me. And uh, it's probably a big reason why I don't want to leave is because of the family life that I've, I've been able to have. And, and I guess um, I want everybody to have, be able to have that. And I think a lot of the issues we're talking about are things that are, could help these people stay in this area. Good people could help people. We see it every day with people that graduate from OU, and the first thing they do is get out of here. A lot of them hate leaving. I mean, you read those sad posts at the end of every year. Reading them every year brings a tear to my eye. Um, you know, what, what can we do to get more good people to stay here? What can we do to get the local people that graduate from OU to stay, want to stay here instead of having this mindset of, I can't wait to get out of this place. Um, it's a great place to live. And, and, and I think that, uh, uh, there's ways from the seat that I'm in from every seat, um, even just community members of, of trying to, uh, make it a better place. How would you describe your conservatism? What does that mean to you politically? What is that philosophy? I guess from, your worldview. from a business perspective, uh, you know, I think that uh, I, I guess the reason why I would say I'm, I'm, I'm more of a Republican, I would say, um, or why I identify that is from a business, business perspective of, of trying to uh, facilitate that I think that uh, uh, in certain instances, less government is good. Um, I don't think government should be involved in every aspect of our lives. Um, I think government plays a role. I don't think regulations and these sorts of things are something that has made the world a much better place. Um, but I think as, as far as um, my counterparts and, and people that are um, diehard Democrats farther on the left, I'm probably closer to a middle of the road. Uh, uh, I don't Democrat. I mean, I could identify be as both. Be careful. Uh, <laughs> But but uh, that being said, I think that that's that's really the reason. Um, I'll be real honest, and I, I'm just going to be honest. I I came down here. My my whole family was Democrats, blue collar, very union based. This whole area is a union based, blue collar Democratic area because of coal mines. Mm-hmm. Unions came about from coal mines and, and people selling their soul to the company store and and all those stories. Um, which were greatly needed. Um, so this area, you have a mindset of very pro union very pro blue collar um, outside of the university. Um, that's how I grew up. Um, my great grandpa, who I 
knew till I was 10, 11, was a Democratic county commissioner here as a farmer. Uh, my grandpa uh, grew up uh, very, you know, there was presidents that came through and he had speakers on top of his car um, playing the opponent's uh, theme song you know they had theme songs back then um when he came to town he was a diehard democrat and campaigned and helped and did as much stuff as he could um i think that uh, uh where i am i'm not really a diehard anything uh, i think where i come in is is uh, uh when i came to ou um i saw uh that wasn't my family that wasn't the Democrats that I grew up in, whether that was right, wrong, or indifferent. There was things that I agreed with people, um, things I disagreed with people. Um, but I guess I had a whole new view of the Democratic Party when I came to OU because it was a completely different demographic of Democrat, as it would be. OU is a very diverse place. Southeastern Ohio is not a diverse place. Um, go to go to any of the five schools here in Athens County, you're not going to see much diversity. Hello. Yes, and 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 that's something that you know plays a role in people's lives. I mean, again, I was fortunate enough that playing sports, I played in Columbus leagues and basketball, and did different things that I was able to you know see different things that many people do. I mean, you, you, they don't realize that they throw the stigma up on people. Well, they're trapped. I mean, they're in Southeastern Ohio. They're not seeing these things. Um, but I think that in coming to OU, um, I just maybe. Felt, felt like I didn't identify as much as some of the Democrats on campus um, and, and what people identified as Democrats um, and fell more in the line of, um, and, and it's probably why I identify as, I would say, a soft or a middle-of-the-road Republican. Um, and, and again, I cho- choose very little time thinking about such things because partisanship to me just is is one of the biggest problems our country has. And, and we're seeing that on a federal level every day. People are beholden to that party as opposed to beholden to their constituents. Well, your family was pretty strong uh, Trump supporter, right? Uh, I would say that. that I mean, big fair. sign. My, my, grandfather's, <laughs> my grandfather's motto now is uh, I didn't leave the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party left me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, he, you know, again, he's a major Democrat. And, and uh, you know, I, ha- I was able um, – I come from the worst demographic. They talk about indexes. Indexes is how many, if you're a Republican, how many Republican percentage in your county. I come from the worst index in the state for a Republican. The worst. I can't even get all the Republicans. If I got every single Republican out to vote and voted for me, I wouldn't win. The reason I won is because I tapped into these blue-collar, union-based Democrats that aren't so much at the university but more on the outlier areas. And I think that that's that's really why I was able to win Um, was people like my grandfather that grew up. uh, Bill Tyson is one that comes to mind, and you guys have no idea who Bill Tyson is. Um, Very well-known guy in in Nelsonville, was a county commissioner for years and veteran and um, who wrote letters of support for me. And he's a diehard, very well-known Democrat in this area. I had people in Columbus say, how did you get Bill Tyson to vote for you? And I wanted to say, well, it's probably because I'm probably middle of the road. I'm a union-based Republican. Um, and, and I think that a lot of those guys, people now, uh, have trouble saying they're Republicans, but they're probably more in line with like me. Um, and I think I was able to, because of getting out there and being in the community and talking and getting my message out. Um, so even, you know, that's the other part of, of campaigning and elections is, 
you could be the who somebody wants, um, but if you don't get the message out and let people know, then they're they're still not going to vote for you. They'll vote for you based off party, or they'll just won't vote for anyone in that. So I think that I was able to go out and work hard enough and get people to know what I was all about and what I stood for. And and uh, it's very easy to campaign and say a lot of things. And and that was a big point of I think why I continue to work hard and try to get down here and see as many people as never wanted people to think that. Uh, uh, I was doing that for a vote and doing that for they were only going to see me every couple of years when I was campaigning. We walk in parades every weekend and people are saying, what are you doing? You know, you're not running again this year. You're not on the ballot again this year. I said, that, that's not how it works. You don't show up to parades because you want votes. You show up to parades to meet people and talk to people and let them know who you are and you'd be able to use you as a resource and these sorts of things. And it's sad that the mindset is still out there that you're only supposed to come here when it's a campaign year um, because that's that's really not how it should be. As a businessman, um, what have you learned or what have you been surprised at now as a politician? I know you, want, you don't want to be the P word, yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> but you are. Uh-huh. <laughs> or yeah. you're, you're in the bit, role. Let's, 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 I, let's just say you're, you, you're where the politicians are. I'm coming are. around to being okay with the word <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, yeah. When, you, when you dress like one <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. you work with one. Yeah, no. <laughs> that's it. No, I, I get it. Quack, quack. I get it. So, um, but can a businessman run government and, and be in government and how does that work and what have you learned in I think that? So. I think so. I mean, you know, I think that it's, I don't think that there's any particular person, uh, you know, every businessman's different. A business person. Uh, yeah, a business person. Owner, yeah. I think it helps. Uh, for me, in my own personal case, I think that, uh, you know, we talked about, you know, got asked a, about, a lot about the mindset and coming in and where did you come up with this. And I guess I think that's why I've been somewhat successful and why my family's been successful is they take the same approach that I'm bringing to this. And I try to take the same approach to sports and football and politics and work um, is you know, the same approach I'm talking about here today is is learning, preparing Going into meetings, knowing what, you know, especially in Columbus when you're with politicians, knowing your audience, that's where partisanship can, and, and being aware, um, um, what's the word the college kids are using now? Woke, being, staying woke, <laughs> staying woke. Staying, I learned that the other day, so mm-hmm. I'm trying to, you know, be hip. Incorporated. Yeah. I think it's on its way out. Uh, but, okay. but stay woke. Well, stay let me woke. know the next one coming right, in. Right, right. Don't, don't be caught sleeping. And, stay woke. and trying to figure out, uh, um, you know, if, Going into a room, and if I know my audience and know this guy really cares about this issue or this guy is ultra conservative, um, similar to the Medicaid expansion conversations and walking into to the room and, and trying to trying to lobby on behalf of keeping Medicaid expansion, um, it helps to know your audience and know what buttons to push. So uh, I like to, I'm very nonpartisan or bipartisan, but I, I also understand politics and understand, I guess, my audience. And as, the more I'm there and the more I'm getting to know people um, on both sides of the aisle, I'm, I'm becoming aware of what they're passionate about, what they care about. And it helps. It helps when you're when your politics is about give and take. Going in and beating your chest and saying, I'm standing my ground, I'm not moving anywhere, which our federal people do every day. Um, and I say that on both sides of the aisle, it's a problem. Um, I think that that's, that's how we've gotten into this mess that we're in. Nothing gets done. There's, there's times where, not times, almost all the time, where you, you need to give a little bit. You're not going to get everything you want, um, and that's how it's supposed to be. You're going to have to give a little bit. You come in, uh, you, you come in, leave some negotiating. That's part of the process, too. Um, leave some room to be negotiated, but, uh, but I think that uh, um, that's a big problem is we have a lot of people that want to point their finger and blame the other side, and it's more about partisanship or making a political statement than it is about efficiency. I, I can bring up a prime example, and I, don't, I won't mention names, but 
the Medicaid expansion. We passed it out of the budget. Uh, the governor vetoed it. We were going to override his veto in about, um, we had roughly 24 hours, not even 24 hours, it was midnight, and we were vetoing it, um, what, the next day or two days later at 9 a.m. Um, I was getting calls um, to, we have 66 Republicans. I'm one, so we had 65 others. I'm the only one still to date that came out publicly and said that I supported the, I said I supported, I wanted the governor to veto it when we passed the budget, even before the governor vetoed it. When he vetoed it, I'm the only one that came out with the Columbus Dispatch and local paper saying, I applaud the governor. I will lobby on behalf of trying to get make sure we don't have votes. You have to have um, three-fifths majority, which is 60 in the House. Um, and um, um, we have 66 Republicans. Um, we had all the Democrats on board um, and me. Um, I walked into caucus with 65 people. Um, but, th- but the night before, I guess where I was going with that is the night before, um, the day before, um, four or five in the afternoon, they were having a protest outside the state house, uh, Democrat-led state ha- uh, protest um, about trying to save Medicaid. And I had constituents calling me saying, will you please come join us in the protest because we saw where you stand on this. And I took real issue with that. You know, I, I think protests serve a purpose. They definitely serve a purpose. I think we've gotten a lot of great things done in this country and in this area based off protest and, and having a silent, peaceful, or not a silent, but a peaceful protest. Um, my problem is, is when I talk to these, to these um, constituents about uh, this protest, what are we protesting? You know, they, they, I understand what they're protesting. I agreed with them, but we're less than 12 hours away from a vote. Wouldn't it, wouldn't we do more justice by having some real conversations? We don't know where these guys are. They haven't passed it yet. Uh, Maybe we should try to have some conversations with them and try to influence them to think the way we think. We're staring down a timeline that is protesting really. I understand the role of protesting. I think it serves a purpose. What's going to be more efficient? Is our first line of defense when we hear something to protest or is our first line of defense Let's go educate them on this topic and let's have a real conversation with them. And and I had this conversation with them and it wasn't I wasn't mad at them or upset, but I said, you know, I could use your help right now. Rather than protesting outside the state house, here's six numbers. I'm on the phone calling all sixty five of these other people. Uh, make some calls, you know. Tell tell them where you're at, tell them where you support it. Um, we're staring down a timeline that we gotta get this done and we can protest after. We have all the time in the world to protest after if it happens. Um, but it hadn't happened yet, so let's let's try to make a difference. And and uh, I think that's that's more the mindset that I, I'm going to try to instill amongst constituents too. Is let's try for our first line of defense. I think when we're when we very first hear something, and, and I I talk to the Democrats. I'm I'm very close with them and the people that formed the protest. I was upset with them too because the Republicans that I know, and especially when you only need five other six others to get on board, there's a lot of bipartisan. Uh, Republicans, not only bipartisan, they're very, maybe even very staunch Republicans, but they're willing to sit down and have a conversation with you. They didn't swing one of those going into caucus the night before. Um, there wasn't one of them swung by this protest or the news or anything else. Um, I went into caucus that night and, and had a message, and I think it was a pretty good message. I think we walked out of there. There were 65 yes votes on, on overriding. Um, I walked out of there with 14 um, that were on our side. Um, only needed six. Um, but I think that I could, we use help the same way we rely upon people to get me information. Um, we really need to, uh, uh, I think to change our tactics and, and I understand federal, it's very tough to talk to politicians and this, but on the state level, that's, I, I would say that protests are fine. You can do it. 
you know, you can go on Facebook rants. I don't, I'm not trying to tell you what to do. Um, but if we really want to be effective instead of just maybe sending a political message and, and maybe even getting in the paper, um, let's make our first line of defense to have conversations and try to educate people on maybe areas that are, they're not working in or they're not aware of. And once we've explored those routes and things get done against us, and then you can go do um, whatever it is. But I think it's far more efficient to, to have real conversations to try to change legislation. And I see some is saying that multi-pronged, multi-pronged approach, like, yes, we want people in the boardroom, and then you want to say, so if it doesn't work out here, there's some folks outside you may not want to see or hear. Absolutely. You know, numbers show up. Absolutely. So, so on that bent, in you've been in for six months, mm-hmm. I'd say a roller coaster of <laughs> six months. <laughs> yes, yes. Are there particular issues in which your mind has been changed? Um, that's a very good question. Uh, that's a very good question. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I think that, uh, I don't think, uh, I would say there, there has to be, um, not as much as that I can, that I can think of. There's definitely things that I've went in, um, and thought, you know, we need to do this. This is something we, we need to do. And, and I guess those issues, I've backed off from some of those because you start unraveling that string and you're like, oh, I didn't realize Cuyahoga County set up like this. And, mm-hmm. you know, you're look, I'm looking at something through, you know, a very tight lens and looking at southeastern Ohio. And one of the issues w- was with the Educational Service Center, the ESC. Um, w- it is set up to where um, we're so rural that everyone uses the ESC. It's kind of a, a central place that you can go to get hearing speech and language pathologist for your school as opposed to hire a school having to hire a full-time when they hire one at the ESC and you can contract them out and it caught, cuts down on the cost burden for schools. Um, that's just one example, one of the things I do. Since every school is using that, um, I feel like every school should have a voice. Um, but the only people that were able to have a voting member of those boards were the municip- were the village schools, not the city schools. So Athens and Nelsville and Athens County didn't have a voting member on the board. Mm-hmm. But they're using them just as much, or if not more. Sure. We tried to fix that right away. It was one of the first meetings we had, and I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, we're in over our head because every ESC is set up differently. And, you, you know, and that's the other part of it is you have a lot of people that have these issues and are like, well, just fix it. Well, you can't go in and say, you know, I want to give Meigs County $2 billion. It doesn't work like that. Um, and, it, and it actually pr- promotes uh, or provides uh, you need a lot more analysis and in-depth education because um, we were, I was able to get a lot of things fixed on the education budget from the governor's proposal. Uh, and in doing so, you have to really go into a formula and figure out, okay, where can I, what can I do? I, you have to come up with a broad-based approach to figuring out ways. And there was many of things that we would plug into that formula. And sure enough, of the 13 school districts we're representing, it would help out 11 of them, but then two of them were getting killed. And we're like, well, we don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, or there was something you'd plug in and help Athens, and it wouldn't it hurt everybody else. Um, so you, it really comes up with you got to really experiment and, and, and really know what you're doing and, and try to come up with a broad-based approach that can't be specific to an area. Unfortunately, I wish it was that way. It would make my job a lot easier. Um, but in, in coming up with a thing that with something that will go across the state and legislation or issues that will go across the state but still help out your area is something that is very taxing, a lot more taxing than what I originally thought on, on definitely some issues. Mm-hmm. I would imagine that would be difficult even when you talk about rural counties and urban counties mm-hmm. and um, finding ways for them to connect and, and work together on issues that affect everyone. Uh, uh, educational issues, drug issues, uh, but 
space is oh, it, yes. you know then because you have more people compacted in a small area in the urban areas well mm-hmm. that affects them differently same issues yes and and unless and, and instead of the us against them, mm-hmm. which we often hear, well, they all get it in Cuyahoga, they get it in Hamilton. It's like, oh. now how how can we find ways absolutely to work together? You know, what's a, the opioid crisis now? Uh, a few, you know, a couple of decades back, it's the crack. It was crack, and it ran through urban areas in, a, in the same way that opioid um, use is running through rural areas. Absolutely, and. Um, so what approaches worked and didn't work and what what can we do together? And we're drawing a lot of conclusions. I think I've drawn a lot of conclusions and a lot of similarities between urban areas and Appalachia. There are a lot of similarities. Um, and it's something that, uh, that we're definitely working with those representatives on and those uh, senators and those people in the legislation on um, of trying to uh, – uh, work together and come up with a common approach that uh, even though it's much different demographics, it's much different problems, um, a lot of the same problems. You, know, you got kids coming to school hungry. You got kids coming to school where their parents were on drugs. Um, and, and, you know, all of a sudden, um, you know, math and English isn't really that important at that point in time. And, you know, and, and all these teacher evaluations that the state does and for mandates that these teachers do, um, I'd rather have a good teacher that can handle those situations. That doesn't, that doesn't come through on an assessment. Um, so I, I think that uh, that needs to play a role in how we're, how we're monitoring teachers and how we're rating teachers um, in school districts is how are we handling these situations and, and where are the kids coming from. Uh, and you're exactly right that the, that the crack crisis um, you know, many decades ago came through. And, and it seems like something in my research, and I have an opioid bill that we're really working on the heroin problem right now. Um, and in doing that, you know, I think it, it, you have to know the history um, of where we came from. And it seems like uh, um, because it was urban areas, we just didn't care as much. And politics, uh, uh, now we're considering this a major epidemic, which it is, and there's more deaths. And I think heroin's a lot different drug as far as the potency and different things. But it was still an epidemic back then. And because of maybe— Still decimates families and areas. And, and it's rolled right in. It's very, you know, I, there's a lot of— Way, reasons that the heroin epidemic and the demographics of it has stemmed from that generation of, of crack use and cocaine use and different things. So it's uh, um, it's something that it's unfortunate that that was that way. And, and uh, um, but, it, you know, we got to move forward and it's something that's still affecting um, urban areas. It's this is something that's affecting all areas now. So do you uh, do you support or, or let me ask it this way? How do you what do you think about the um, the lawsuits against the pill, the big pharmaceutical companies? And so Mike DeWine is doing that. Um, I think it's West it's, Virginia did it. West Virginia did it. Um, I think it's good. Uh, one thing that I, I have learned in, in dealing with some pharmaceutical companies, and we have some in Ohio, uh, very small, the, the Vivitrol. You hear the Vivitrol all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a company in Ohio. They make that in Ohio. Um, I think that there is somewhat of a misconception. Now, the Pfizer's of the world and Johnson and Johnson's and, and Eli Lilly's, I mean, they're billion dollar companies um, that are, it's just extraordinary and they're making tons of money. However, it is, it takes 20 to 30 years to bring medicine to market. Um, with the research that you're going in and there's a lot, there's many pharmaceutical companies that go bankrupt every year because even though they have a great drug to go through 20 years, I mean, from now until 20 years, um, you find out about a drug to go through all the trials 
um, I wish there was a way of coming up with a, a quicker way of that. Now you want to make sure it's safe. Um, so I do think that that the big ones give the bat give the middle of the road ones a bad name. Um, and then I also think that uh, I think it's a good uh, definitely a good if they're misrepresenting and telling doctors false things. And and I don't think I honestly wish we didn't have advertisement on TV on pharmaceuticals. Um, it changed the game. Uh, yeah, it did. did. And and I wish that. Uh, but I think that. There's also, uh, I think that doctors are held, should be held more responsible, and that's really what my bill is going after in the sense of there, it's not an attack on doctors. There are just as many doctors out saving people's lives every day. There's more of those, but there are doctors that are overprescribing, and even though the pharmaceutical industry is out there, um, patients can't get them unless a doctor writes a script for it. Um, now, there's a complex conversation of Medicaid populations and why that is, but uh, why that tends to be more worse in, in the Medicaid areas. But um, I still think doctors should be held accountable to it. I think it's just the same as jobs and, and the drug epidemic as a whole and everything. It's just very – I don't think there's anything that we're going to do and fix. I think it's very complex. And I think that going after the pharmaceutical industries could be could prove to have some efficacy to it. And we just had a report of a government leader in Middle Middleport that was trying to get naloxone yes. removed. Um, how do you feel about naloxone and having that as something that the deputies in the sheriff's office have, the uh, uh, EMS has just on ready to go? Do you, how do you feel about yeah, that? Yeah, you know, I, <laughs> it's amazing because you hear about these drugs and what they're doing, and, and uh, maybe it's me being um, um, kind of – I'm not in touch, I guess, as well with what's going on in that industry, in the industry of addiction and, and chasing a high as, as many of them are. Um, you hear about naloxone, you're like, it's saving people's lives. It's a great thing. Uh, but then you hear these sheriff's offices and, and many people across the state that are saying, we're wasting money. Yeah, and that's that's what they're saying. Um, we're wasting money. We're, there's people in this, in our town that are, you know, every night forming a circle and going to the left and shooting each other up and they keep one spotter a night uh, 15 people this was just in a publication down i think in cincinnati area one person spots every night and it changes every night and they sit there with either naloxone or with a phone to the sheriff's office they know has the naloxone and if anybody overdoses they call and sometimes yeah. that's three or four and the next night that's changed and it's another person and they do the whole thing over again uh, you know, if people are relying upon it now because they know it's out there and that's where these sheriff's offices are coming from is we're using these on the same core of individuals that um, it's costing a lot of money um, and it's money that we could be putting in trying to get treatment um, that we're just they know it's out there. And the fact that they know it's out there, they're taking advantage of the situation. So. Uh, it's a double-edged sword. It's similar to Vivitrol. You know, Vivitrol Suboxone. Suboxone is something that uh, you know, proved it can be successful in certain situations. Uh, it can also be very deadly and, and cause more harm. Mm -hmm. Vivitrol, uh, something that proves, you know, when I very first heard Vivitrol with Judge Moses up in Hawkin County, I thought the world of it, I, this was going to be it. I thought it was, addiction was going away. Um, now we're seeing a transition here in this county, and Judge McCarthy in our drug courts talked to him about it. We're seeing a transition from heroin to crack cocaine and meth mm -hmm. um, because, uh, uh, you know, it doesn't block those receptors. So right. without mental health um, as being a portion of treatment, uh, we're not going to fix the issue. We're just giving someone a Suboxone pill and giving them a shot. It's great, um, and it's part of it, but it, again, it's that's a small part of it. It doesn't fix the problem. If they're still chasing a high, there's other ways for them to get high, and and uh, we really need to address address the problems. And really, the other really sad portion of it, and it dives into education, is 
these kids, there's a direct correlation between kids being born um, um, chemically dependent and, and kids having issues within our schools. Mm-hmm. And um, they're, you know, we're, we're having to get um, much more uh, teachers for um, different issues that kids are having. There's a direct correlation, um, ADHD and different things that they're having. Um, that uh, our schools are being burdened by this. I mean, you know, I think that number of kids with, um, I can't think of the term, um, it's three letters. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Kids with. with, uh, with uh, see, this is where see? we need Aaron. Yeah. Oh, I know. And I say it all the time. It. It's, uh, oh, it's going to sound very it. badly. Yes. Um, this is like the politician. Narcotics. Uh, I can't something, something, something syndrome. syndrome. Pause. <laughs> it's not no, it's not syndrome. It's kids Google with pause. It's kids with uh, uh, if they have like ADHD or oh. they call it's it's category like uh, kids have. Uh, oh, what are you talking about? Having them in an IEP? IEPs, oh, IEPs. individual oh. education oh. plan. Yes. yes. So oh. kids with IEPs um, within schools, there's a direct correlation between kids being born chemically dependent. It's going to sound really bad that I couldn't think of IEPs. It's like Rick. See, Perry. we want to edit out. It's, so like, it's like Rick it. Perry when he couldn't think of the either. department that he was going to cut out. <laughs> right. Um, but uh, uh, no, I think there's a direct correlation, and in talking to all the superintendents in the district, um, that number has grown exponentially with this drug problem. Um, that's causing more teachers, more individualized studies, more of these uh, individualized plans. Um, so, you know, we, we don't think of the overflow and how it's going to affect other industries. It's bad enough of child's being born that way. Um, now it's affecting other kids' education and, and taxpayers and the state fund. I mean, it's techn- uh, attaching to many things that uh, is just a real problem. And the direct correlation specifically in rural areas to yes. poverty Yes. and how poverty and drug abuse and all that cycles in and out. So Absolutely. And we have, you know, that with that poverty comes the welfare issue as mm-hmm. well. Um, do you see a correlation there as to the welfare population versus the drug population? And how do you see a solution to a, that? A direct correlation. Um, again, it's very complex. So I would say that because of these these people, they're surrounded by certain individuals. So all it takes is a neighbor, um, a friend to get into it. And it's very hard to escape um, from those friends and neighbors. So you're constantly going to be around it. Um, a lot of times it's to feed your family. They get into it to sell and for money. Right. Um, a lot of times people have depression, uh, no sense of self-worth. If they're not working and they're um, not doing things, they, they don't have much to do throughout the day. Um, there's also a high Medicaid population that the Medicaid reimbursements are much lower than commercial reimbursements. So doctors in this area have to see three to four times as many patients because they can't lose money at medical facilities or they wouldn't be in business. Um, so a doctor in a more fluent area that has all commercial pay can see four or five or six patients a day and really diagnose you and do a blood test and and figure out your problem and you know you're having pain let's start here and you can afford to come back and pay a copay and see me again and do these things whereas Medicaid patients are places are overwhelmed with and you have to see so many more patients so they write you a script and get you out the door. And in doing so, um, now all of a sudden you didn't have an addiction. We know addiction is a disease, so you had it. You just didn't know you had it. Mm-hmm. It's in your brain. Um, and you start taking this, these pills under, you know, you would think a doctor's discretion. You doctor someone you should be able to trust. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're a professional in that field, and I do think that they are. 
Um, but they now all of a sudden I've opened up something in my brain from taking this pill that a doctor has told me to take. Um, and all of a sudden now, instead of I, I go back to the doctor and get more and get more and maybe even sell a couple of them and get more people involved and, and hurt more people. And then all of a sudden I get cut off and now I'm, a, now I'm reliant or addicted and now I'm going to heroin and, and, uh, it's a never ending cycle. And, and I think, uh, close to 75 to 80% of people that are dying of overdoses we're in the ORS reporting system um, still to this day. So there's there's a direct correlation between the opioids that are prescribed, legally prescribed, whether they were prescribed to the person that were taking them or not, but they're hitting the streets because of a doctor's prescription and heroin um, and people that are trying heroin. I would say if you talk to many addicts, and, and I have, and talk to Dr. Gay and talk to many of the people here locally that are experts, Dr. Gay is world-renowned is world on this topic, and he's right here in Athens. Um, about to retire. Shout out today, mm-hmm. yeah, three o'clock. Yeah. I'll be there. Gonna go fishing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, he. Uh, th- but in talking to him, I think that there is that direct correlation. That uh, you know, it's it's many of the people, um, a high percentage of the people that are into heroin, um, started from prescription opiates. Opioids. We're moving on after the budget is passed and all that stuff. What's next? What are you gonna do next? What's your aim? Um, I think next, uh, my big, my big plan, there's a lot of little things that we're working on, um, throughout, uh, we got this opioid bill. We got, uh, it, we really want to start working on a plan. You come in in January and by, you know, June, you're passing a budget and you're looking at a 4,700 page document, 65 and a half billion dollars. You're not really going to be able to change the whole school funding formula in that time, especially as a freshman legislator. So I want to spend the next two years laying the groundwork of trying to come up with a new funding formula for a K through 12 education. Um, so we're more prepared the next time the budget comes around for that um, and try to get you know less less involved with property taxes in that formula and more involved with who needs it and understanding that it costs costs more to educate kids coming from poverty than it does cut kids coming from more affluent areas um, but on top of that uh, one of my big big projects that w- we've started to set up is this Appalachian caucus and I've talked about it a lot during the campaign of Republicans and Democrats it'll be a great um, bipartisan committee um of and senators and house representatives all in one um of uh, you know we're going to entice them by food and bob evans um and try and breakfast in the morning and try to get them to come in and we're going to create a we're going to try to create a i'm going to i'm going to chair the committee um and and going to try to get them into a room to where we can have a stronghold um we're not going to have 14 members of the cuyahoga county delegation or franklin or hamilton county delegations like they have um, and it's very tough to individually go to Columbus and fight. I think a lot of things are specific to our areas that um, we can band together. And, and when it used to be a very strong caucus, and, and uh, I'm actually going to try to plan a, a, a couple-day trip down here to OU with the Voinovich School and let them go through some of their numbers and poverty statistics in Appalachia. And, and I was just talking to the Board of Developmental Disabilities. A lot of those segregated schools now, Beacon Schools, um, are, are in rural areas. So maybe we'll have them come in and ha- try to have many um, – people in the Appalachian, specific to Appalachia, come in and, and do some tours with them and, and do some conversations and um, try to educate them. And then we can come up with a plan in those committees, a bipartisan group, a plan to come up with bills. We want bills to come out of these committees and things to help and issues and really work together. And, and uh, you know, I'm not going to put people on blast if they don't show up. Um, but Why we're, not? But we are, but we are going to. What, what I'm going to do is, uh, um, it, it is tough. I mean, it's tough. You're, I know that when you're in Columbus two or three days a week, 
uh, or one or two days a week typically. Um, and when you're there, you're busy. I mean, you are running around. And, and when you're not there, you're two hours away dealing with constituents. And I know how hard it is to deal with constituents. Some of these representatives are coming from two or three hours away. Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to create a, a social media presence, um, and and when we meet, we're going to have pictures, and and we're hoping that that will lead to constituents seeing that across the state and saying, well, how come my representative lives in Appalachian and isn't in this picture and didn't partake in this conversation that that we brought up Shame today? Shame them. Um, <laughs> so you know, I don't I don't want to go on blast and blast them, and uh, but I think that that is yeah, fair. Yeah, I think that is fair. The uh, the a uh, fair thing to do, and I'm going to be up front and tell them that. Uh, but because I, this is for their constituents it is. also. It so, is. yeah, so there's extra work on a Saturday or whatever day you do it absolutely. or a long day on a Thursday. We expect that of our, that's Abs- why we voted for you. Absolutely, yes. And I think that that is a, uh, and I think it'll send a message to everyone across the state, um, all the other representatives, that, uh, you know, it'll be the real first. I wouldn't say, I guess that wouldn't be the first, but kind of voluntarily committee that wasn't put together by leadership of the speaker, that a, kind of a freshman put together that is a bipartisan approach um, that's showing that, uh, you know, we, we really care, we really want to work together, and we're putting politics to the side to focus on our areas of Appalachia and areas where people feel like their voices just, they don't have one anymore. Um, and and how, can we, how can we give them a bigger voice? This is a much bigger voice with 20 representatives and, and 10, 10 or nine senators um you know that's that's 29 30 people that are now all fighting for a similar cause on some of these issues whereas before we had one um it's it's much more effective what's it like being in a freshman in the in these old storied state house they, yeah. do they haze you yeah no they don't haze me you definitely find uh you they're know, like kid come on get yeah. out of here <laughs> yeah you got these great big ideas nice yeah. nice nice we all yeah. did um, <laughs> have idealism a, yeah, yeah i'm gonna come in and change the whole <laughs> yeah. all state um there's definitely things that uh uh you know that that the veterans there um, that have moved back and forth from chambers and term limits, uh, you learn. I've learned more from just sitting and listening to them talk about things. Um, and you definitely feel like some people come in and they feel like they're going to take advantage of you or, or you know, you, well, you don't know what you're talking about. And, and I think going back to using the same, as, the same mindset and the same uh, model as business and sports, uh, I'm very prepared for, for those, you know, unlike coming in here today. Um, when I walk into those meetings, I know who's at the table. I know where they're from. I know who they're representing. I know what issues they're working on. I know what bills they sponsored last year. I know what they're passionate about. If it's a lobbyist, I know what bills they're against right now, what bills they're for. Uh, for instance, we have this opioid bill. Every doctor's against it. Um, every pharmaceutical company's against it. Um, I had a meeting with all the doctors and they came in and I won't mention names. One of them is from OU um, and Ah. came came to Columbus and was, you know, arguing with me and fighting with me and yelling at me and got very loud and said, death match. And see, the the problem is opiates are down in Ohio. They are down the number of opiates, but the number of opiates per patient, it's because there's less patients and less doctors writing. The number of opiates per patient are higher. Hmm. So number of pills per prescription is over 65, way too many. Um, so prescribing habits have not changed. There's just less patients getting opiates. Um, so that being said, uh, um, they, they came in touting that opiates are down and, and all this and, and said that, uh, you know, their the ORS has helped this. And ORS is a Ohio automated um, RX prescription reporting system um, that doctors have to put in. And they said, ORS is great and ORS is this. And, ORS. and I knew that that was the route that they were going to go. Um, me and my aide talked about it. And we kind of figured that was the first line of defense from them. And I had printed off a well, there's a publication called Gongwer in Ohio that they, they cover all everything around the state house and all state politics. 
weeks and you can go back and look at historical data. And I knew everybody I was meeting with and I went and printed an article out and, and all every single person in the room was in the article and I highlighted it and I had as many for everybody in the room. So I waited and they said all this and I said, you know, you guys are all touting ORS right now and how great ORS is. And this, that was six years ago that, that that bill came to light. And, you and, and uh, you know, I think it's great that you guys are so bought into ORS. But I, I passed out the paper. I said, this article shows uh, the committee where every single one of you came in and were opponents to ORS when this happened. Now you're sitting here touting it was a great thing. Um, do you think there's a possibility that in six years from now you could be touting this as the great thing and, and oh, you're working on the next thing that you're working on? And I don't think it made very many of them happy. Um, <laughs> but I think it also allowed them allowed us to get past we're going to take advantage of this freshman and, and we're going to have a real conversation. And my, my conversation with them is we need your buy-in. I'm not a doctor. I'm not planning to be a doctor. There's problems with this bill. It's not perfect. We want to reform the bill so that it is perfect. We don't want to leave people out. If there's areas we're missing, if there's areas we can get this better, it's a, this is not us versus you. This is not we hate doctors. It's not attack on the doctors. This is how can we help. Let us help you. And if you want to be mad about it, then you're not going to have a seat at the table, and that's fine. Um, but we want you to have a seat at the table. And if you're willing to come in and have real conversations, realize that this is a problem. The number of prescriptions per per number of pills per prescription is a problem. How we're going to change that? We have treatment options, uh, treatment access options that are a real problem. If you're not going to come in and have a seat at the table to try to work on these, then there there might be things that you could have gotten in this bill that you're not going to be able to because you're not going to be at the table. And uh, we've had a lot of success and I think we're reforming that and hopefully you know whenever I come on again we will have passed that and and I think the Senate's moving on it as well and um, we'll start to see that the success of that and it's it's just a, it's one step it's nothing that's a fix-all um, but it's another big step I think in the right direction of, of this opioid problem that's an epidemic across the state right now. When you're out can you have a good time without talking about work? <laughs> <laughs> I mean because everything can lead back to yeah right? yeah, yeah so um i don't know if you participated in brew week but yeah yeah i was up to brew week yeah. um I, I really enjoy brew week um yeah, you know, it's it's funny now that I'm elected, it, more people want to, you know, approach me as before when I was going to a lot of events, it was, I had to make my way and introduce myself and in, in, inject in conversations and shake people's hand. Now it seems like more people want to come talk to me. I think just becoming well known and people see me in the paper and know who I am. And, and I realize that people want to talk and I appreciate it. And I'm willing to talk whenever people are willing to talk. And sometimes in situations like that, where it's just not appropriate, I'll, you know, a, a cell phone number card with my cell phone and and a lot of times too in those situations people will call my cell phone and be like i just really want to make sure that you were giving me weren't giving me the runner i've had pe- i've had uh, you know on door on, right. on doorsteps of people's uh where i tell them that and i see them sitting there looking and i see them pick up their phone and they're not telling me and i know what they're doing and i just pull it out and hold up my phone i'm like you're gonna see your number come up on there um because they think i'm i'm just giving them a line or something but uh no i, I think that, that that is a way you know anywhere you go and and you know, going to brew week is, it, I like to have fun and stuff, but if I could make a connection while I'm there too, it's, mm-hmm. it's a lot of fun. And sometimes, you know, we don't talk about work as much or we'll divert the conversation, but, uh, and we'll take it to a more appropriate setting. But, uh, you know, I, I realized, I realized going into this, what I was getting into and, and you're going to be in any situation where people are going to want to talk to you. And, and, uh, hopefully you didn't partake too much in brew week at those times. <laughs> <laughs> We're always being on yeah, or, or right. the potential of being on. Yes. I would imagine that being tired. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I would say it is. But, you know, again, I, I think that um, but that's the I, I'm me. Yeah. And, and that that's the thing is, as I'm me, I have a passion for this stuff. And 
And if you don't really love it and aren't willing to give up things and give up time to do it, then then you don't really love it. And and I realize that that we've gotten into this situation that we're in. I think for a lot of different reasons, but one of it is uh, not having representation in certain pockets of the of the area. That um, you know, in order for us to get out of it, we can't go the same route. Um, we need to go a different route. So whenever I go to these things, I, I fully expect to, to have some of those real conversations. And I want people to hold my feet to the fire on things I campaigned on because, you know, that's, I really meant it. And I wasn't doing that to try to get a joke or try to get, try to get a vote um, <laughs> and a uh, joke. Um, but uh, so, you know, I, I want people to hold me liable and I want to be judged off of things that I'm doing, not, not what I'm talking about or saying. Do you remember the moment when you thought I'm going to run for office do you remember like you're sitting there figuring out what to do next do i flip this house or do i flip this business do i do this and you go no this is i remember distinctly um there was a night where there was two township trustee meetings and i had gone to a bunch um and i went to two at one night um where they were out and out that one of them was in athens county one of them was in meigs county they couldn't tell me who their state representative was. Why were you at the trustee meetings? Because I was exploring the idea. Okay, no, but I yeah. mean to back up, like before, before you were exploring, like like I was the, approached. I was approached by some people to run, and I won't say names. Okay, but I was approached by people to run, and I left the. I was having a normal lunch with some political figures um, in the area, and I've always been kind of active in politics and helped, and I've helped Democrats and Republicans and whoever I believe in. Um, and, and tried to help whenever I can to facilitate people that I know and introducing them for fundraising, whatever the case may be. And I got invited to a lunch and we, with people that normally have lunch with and just talk and try to figure out all the, you know, all the world's problems. These two uh, individuals had a full plan to get me to run. Wow. And it was out of, they came prepared. They were prepared. It was out of nowhere. And I remember leaving the meeting kind of upset, uh, like almost mad. Like, you know, I don't have enough life experience. I got some really good things going on in my life right now. How would I ever get elected? Um, you know, I, I, what, what, I don't even know where to begin. I mean, you talk about being uh, overwhelmed, uh, you know, you're, you, when you decide to jump in, um, and you're thinking about, you know, how do I, how do I find out about these meetings? How do I find out about events? How many, how many people are elected in each County? How many school board members, how many superintendents, principals, I got to come up with a logo. I got to have business cards. I got to have thank you cards. I need a, <laughs> I need, I need somebody, you know, Dalen, I, I need an email address. I need a website. Um, I need, I need pictures. I need, there is so many things that it's overwhelming. And, and you, I was able to think about that before I decided to get in. Um, and, and so uh, the more I kept thinking about it, it, it weighed on my mind. It, and I knew that it made me mad for a reason. And it was because it was something I really wanted to do. And the, the more I kept thinking about it, I was like, you know, why is this making me mad? Why is it angering me that they've asked me to do this? And it was almost like them holding my feet to the fire, but they definitely didn't force me in. And so then I decided to go, go explore the idea. I talked to my family and they were all for it. Um, I started talking to, uh, they thought I would be great in the role. Um, and I started talking to um, some local school board members and teachers, and they really liked my view on things and started hearing their issues. Um, and it just seemed to be there was a lot of people that felt like their voices weren't heard, like we've heard for years around these parts. Um, and, and I guess when you have elected officials that don't know who their state representative is, I find that highly alarming. I mean, how are you supposed to represent 
your, them if you don't have a relationship with them. Um, so, you know, that's something that, uh, that was my first beat when I, when I decided that was why I decided again. And when I got in, I went to every township trustee meeting or at least reached out by phone, um, let them know who I was, what I was doing. Um, a lot of times they were very surprised to see a guy walk in because they're used to nobody coming to their meetings. Um, you know, there's three township trustees and a fiscal officer. And a lot of times they have the very awkward conversation of, uh, we've never had anybody here and we might not do things by the book. So please don't tell anybody us. <laughs> we might call the role differently than what we're supposed to or something like that, which things that really don't matter. Um, but you know, that, that was, that was usually the top concern. And when I saw that, I was like, this is, this is sad. They don't have anybody here. Um, and, and a lot of the issues that we've worked on are township issues, uh, local government being left behind townships have really been left behind. Um, so it's something that we're making sure we get a voice for them. So you were planning on running at some point in your life, just not as soon as you ended up running for office. Is that no? I was never planning on running. Uh, never, I never had any plans to run for anything. Or any no, the only the closest thing I ever had was my great grandfather was a county commissioner here. I've never had anybody. My uncle was on school board and had been in like the city. My dad was city councilman. Just small stuff, but only for like short periods of time. But my family was always talking politics, but mm-hmm. was never like deeply into politics. So you were involved in politics sort of like behind the scenes, but you're, you had never had any sort of like intentions or desire to sort of no. be the public face of no, never that did. process. And I never thought about it. It was like when I was going to school here and, you know, hitting up the bars on court street, I definitely <laughs> wasn't thinking about it. Um, so no, I wasn't, it was something that uh, I never, never thought of. And it, it's something that I, I like to tell uh, as I like to go around talk to kids about because I think that it is a realization that you know a lot of people think well he's a state rep and it's a, it's a big deal to me it's it's a local job I'm representing the local area and it that that is what it is um, but there's a lot of people that look at it and think it's much bigger than that and I guess I like to send the message to some of these kids that. You know, I was one of them. I mean, I'm just a normal guy from southeastern Ohio that um, decided that I wanted to do this, worked my butt off to do it, and, and was able to be successful because of really the messaging. It didn't have anything to do with partisan, obviously, because uh, the index down here and and uh, just was able to uh, and, and fighting every day and really trying to make a difference. So anything's possible, I think. And, and many of these kids, um, I think we're going to see you see them light up right now is a a really awkward time, a weird time, and a fun time to be in politics because it's the 24-hour news. I mean, you don't go anywhere without reading about, you know, what's going on on the federal level and what's going on with this politician and that politician and this campaign. I mean, when I decided to run as well before Donald, anybody knew Donald Trump was going to be running, um, to think that he was going to be a candidate in the news every day during this cycle, um, it was a wild time to be a first-time candidate. Um, next time is probably going to be much different because uh, you're not going to have him in this in this uh, midterm. So, um, but I, uh, yeah, I just think that, uh, I think that's why I'm, got so many people that are open to talking to me and working with me is they see that I'm just a kid from Nelsonville that's grown up here my whole life and really just wants to roll up the sleeves and get to work and try to fight effectively, not, not, not argue and fight and bicker and get into it with people in Columbus. Um, but really sit down and have conversations and try to get something done. You say you prepare for meetings. Um, you like to do, do your homework. Is that a byproduct of your time as an athlete? I would and say being it, a math major, or does it come from some something? I would say it comes from. I mean, early on, it comes from my family. Uh, my family is very prepared. You know, I, um, 
you know, you, you, people get at football, the, the analogy I always, I always say, and I've never really heard anybody say a thing that I always say to high school. I talked to a lot of high school athletes um, is um, it's really easy to get really worked up and fired up and want to win on Friday nights in football games. Um, that game was won and lost over the summertime. It was won and lost a long time ago. So you can get mad after the game. You can be happy. You can or you can get upset that you lost. You can be mad at the teammate. You wasn't that mad at him when you know he needed a ride and you didn't pick him up uh, coming to coming to workouts that summer. Um, so you know I try to put things in proportion of not letting yourself get too emotional um, and realizing that you know you follow your dreams but also follow your efforts. Um, and that was a that was a motto that my family I guess instilled in me, and it was the process I took to. Um, anything that you do in life, uh, you know, you can't control in sports. You can't control the referee. You can't control the play calling sometimes. You can't control the, uh, if you're having a bad night, shooting basketball, which always happens sometimes. You can't control some of these things. Um, the same you can as a state representative. Um, you can't control what other representatives, what they're bringing to the table, what organizations are fighting for, what the newspaper's writing about you. Um, what WOUB radio is talking about you. Hey. Um, but the only thing you can control is the attitude you're going there with and how hard you're going to work and prepare for, for those things. And I think that uh, that should be the constant in everything that you do um, is, is making sure that you're prepared and, and working hard and trying to do what's right and, and bringing a good attitude to the table to do that. I have one last question okay. for me. I won't be the last one, but I have one last question. Okay. What's on your playlist? What's the last song you heard? Let's see. I'm a big Drake guy. Oh, oh YOLO. Yeah, yeah, I'm a big Drake guy. Um, Champagne, Poppy. Uh, I'm a big, like, I like rap music. Mm-hmm. So I'm a big, J- I like the new Jay-Z album. Incredible. It's pretty good. It's, it's, it's incredible. pretty good. I yeah. think it's one of the most important um, albums, if we can say albums anymore in hip-hop. Yes. Especially. Yes. So I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, a, I'm more of a, uh, I listen to a lot of, uh, uh, if you saw my playlist, it's all over the place. Okay. I listen to some country music. Mm-hmm. I listen to rap music. I mm-hmm. listen to rock music across the board. But I'm probably, if I listen to anything, probably because the only time I get to actually sit down and enjoy music is when I am working out. And in doing so, I listen to more hip hop um, to get pumped up. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. So Jay-Z and Drake gets me through a lot of workouts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, Representative Jay Edwards, thanks for coming in. Yes. Uh, we appreciated uh, talking with you. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. Next time, you don't have to wear a suit. You can wear some more casual. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Where Hopefully, would I won't you have something else going on. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. And that does it for this episode of 457 SEO. 457 SEO is produced in the WAB Public Media Telemix studio. Adam Rich is our audio supervisor, Aaron Payne our editor, and Nathan McGuire created the music for the show. Nathan! Follow WAB News on Twitter and Facebook, and you can find 457 SEO on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, and WAB.org slash listen, or search our website for 457 SEO. Leave us a five-star review to help others find this podcast and let us know what you want to hear in upcoming episodes. And we may listen to you. And we may <laughs> we, we, we will not. Listen. <laughs> Be kind and cons- constructive. Again, thanks for listening. I'm Atish Baidia. I'm Susan Kevin. And I'm Allison. Yeah, you are. And that's it. The NASA average is going to be that right there. Goodbye. Bye.